Carter, and this is the Power of Purpose podcast, where we explore how to live a purposeful life and how creative people like yourself can make a living doing what you love. And I was talking just about this to my buddy, Miriam Cutler, who's here with me. Hi, Miriam. Hi, Judy. And we've known each other for... Um, Quite a long time, but if you've gone out to see a documentary recently, uh, like RBG or the documentary on Gilda or... Dark Money. Dark Money. Chances are the score was composed by the woman I'm sitting with right now. Well, it definitely was if those are the three you saw. (laughs) Right. Don't believe what anybody says. It's Miriam Cutler. (laughs) And we were, we're sitting here right now, actually, um, two We're Jews, eating herring. Having some pickled herring. Yeah, which I haven't had. I only have it at Judy's <laughs> since my mother. Well, I invited her over, and you got to <laughs> offer some an appetizer, and um, what are you going to do? So we started um, working together back in our 20s, right? Yeah, the Blah Blah Cafe. At, at the Blah Blah Cafe in the Valley. And we then well, just worked all over L.A. We um, um, tell them... My favorite were... was the Hooker's Ball in San Francisco. Hooker's Ball in San Francisco. That was like amazing. Miriam was singing and um, leading, uh, fronting a band called Alice Stone Ladies Society Orchestra and playing clarinet and on stage with it was it was fabulous fabulous we were ahead of our time it was fun <laughs> and then uh, i was their opening act and did comedy and we just traveled together and and it was really really a fun time and Miriam said something to me you said something to me that was um really got me thinking and that's why you're here on the oh. power of purpose podcast okay and you said <clears throat> Because um, I wanted to know how you got so successful, how we went from like passing a hat <laughs> at the Blah Blah Cafe to like, you think you're probably going to be up for an Emmy maybe? Who knows? But Emmy potential and and making a living doing what you love. And that's why I like to have people on here about this. But you said, I, you know, I said, why did you give up... Um, performing and then you said because I was performing because it was the only place where I could be who I truly was right yeah that's basically it I wanted I liked who I was a little bit about that when I was on stage I really liked who I was I was much more confident and I was having more fun and I wasn't worried what people thought and I was much more playful and able to connect with people and when I'd get off stage, I'd just be back to my old, really retiring, kind of, you know, insecure, miserable self. So, so on, what was it that you did on stage when you were a performer that gave you the ability to just be exactly who you are? Because most people, that's their issue. You mm. know, they, um, I, when I coach my students in stand-up, it's like... Who you are is enough. Yeah, you have to let go and get out of your own way. And I think because I always loved music so much, um, I never ever thought I was going to have a career in music. It wasn't my intention. I had always been discouraged by my family. So I didn't really think about it that way. I was just doing it because I had to do it. 
And, you know, I spent most of my time when I wasn't doing something else. I was playing the piano, writing songs, playing guitar, listening to music. I mean, when I think back on my college days, I mean, I studied a lot. I, I was a good student. But every free moment was pretty much playing music. I played with my friends. And, and so it was a part of me that was where I felt that I could really express myself. I never thought about performing. And then a bunch of my friends who were from theater, and we got together and we started playing ragtime music together. And they, we were just awful. But we were hilarious. And people really liked it. So I was, you know, there were a couple of us that were actually musicians. And the other people were theater people. But because they were my buddies, and we just used to have so much fun, I started getting more and more bold. When I first went on stage, I would wear a big hat and cover my face. And we had a front person who, you know, it was a whole show. And then she left the band and they said, well, you, you're the singer, you have to be the front person. And I was really scared. But um, I found that it was very liberating because you have to, you know, once you get past your fear, when you let go is when you start to feel good. And when the music's right and the audience is with you, you know, it's just encourages you to let go. I hope everybody listen has had that experience where you're on stage you somehow being in front of people becomes such a huge big it's an energy you get a lot of energy you get so much energy it's just like a high yeah it's really a high and you give yourself permission to go crazy in a way yeah to do things i would never well i was very funny with people i knew but i wasn't comfortable (laughs) with anybody i didn't like really close friends who already loved me i was fine but with people like meeting someone, I always felt less than because oh they they're so they're doing so well they know what they're doing they you know all this stuff. But because I was with my friends, I guess we would just forget we were on stage and we would just be having such a good time. We were very funny. I mean, there there were some really funny oh, people. Yeah, <laughs> it was. No, we, we had and we had a whole group of fans. No, we played all kinds of gigs. Really? I mean, we were an all woman band, but we certainly. And we were, we rode the wave of feminism, and we, you know, some of us, like I grew a lot, I learned a lot about feminism from being in the band, and, um, but I, we had a really, I, I think you too, I think you were hilarious, and I don't think it was limited to any one audience. No, it wasn't. Audience. I, was kind of I mean, you freaking opened for Prince, I mean, come on. Oh, right. <laughs> I know, and then after that, I opened for every other uh, African American act. Because they thought she can cross over. I know. (laughs) Well, um, but what I'm feeling people are thinking right now, who who are my listeners, are going, well, I totally have that feeling of being on stage um, where I am truly who I am or in my writing, and I truly who I am. I am on purpose. I'm on my purpose when I'm doing things. This feels so good. This is so much fun. Oh, wait, I've got to do my day job, (laughs) you know, the Cheesecake Factory. And, you know, and, and it's like how people want to know what's the difference between loving something and you feel so right about it and you're the piano player at birthday parties and here you are composing films so I want to you know first of all I think what you said was you stopped performing the the stage was the only place you felt you could be your authentic self and then you told me 
And that gave you the confidence to be more who you were in life. Yeah. Until you were fully present in life, and then you actually didn't need to perform. Tell yeah, me a little exactly. bit about that. Well, you transition. know, I was a person who didn't really know what I wanted to do. But I've always been really, I like adventure, I like new things, I'm pretty, I'm pretty flexible. And the more I started tuning into that part of myself, I realized I could try things and it didn't matter if I didn't stick with it. It's, it's really about, you keep going forward, you know. You try something, doesn't feel right. I, I, I've really learned to follow my gut instinct. Uh, this isn't feeling right. Okay, I'll just do something else, you know. What if that, oh, this isn't feeling right, is bringing you an income well that, that's a situation for a lot of people I mean I've certainly paid my dues I've done lots of uh, things I don't want to do you know but actually it's interesting um, my father used to say to me act like you have a rich father never let people think you're desperate and that was really good advice because when you walk into a meeting or for a job interview or you're in a job and people are treating you poorly, if you just have that attitude, I mean, nothing's worse than being in a, in a, in a place where you don't want to be. So what could be worse than that? I, I think that I just kept moving forward and trying to, to direction myself. You know, for instance, so I leave college and um, I just decided I'm going to leave graduate school because I want to do, um, I was really an activist and I really wanted to do stuff like activist organizing and stuff. And I left college and I just started asking all these people. And when I just kept asking, I, here's what it is, intention. I'm looking for something. I don't know what it is. What is this position called? But I know, I'll know when I feel it. And so I talked to all these people. I'm looking for a what job. What kind of people? Um, so I started with, I used to know a lot of lawyers and le le law students and stuff because mm -hmm. my roommate was a law student and I was involved in that kind of stuff in college too. And so I just started calling everyone I knew and saying, I'm looking for something. I want to do something that I care about. I want to make change. I want to, and I just met all these people and then they said, oh, you got to call this guy. And so I called him and he goes, oh yeah, come on in. Let's meet you. It was these two public interest lawyers and they just were doing stuff. And it was like they started telling me about what they were doing, and I was just my my mouth fell open. And then they found Your a way to fund me because... because I was so excited because they needed someone to do research and participate. They were doing things like bringing lawsuits against uh, when when land was seized for Bank of America, getting payment payouts for these immigrants that lived in these poor neighborhoods. They were you know they were investigating forced sterilization at County General. They mm -hmm. were investigating redlining. And I found, I found my soulmates. And so I was there for a number of years. And they got me paid. I became a VISTA volunteer. So, I mean, you know, that was just a creative way to finance what I was doing. And it was enough to live on when I was young. I love that about the intention. You had intention. You, had an, you didn't know what the job would look like. I had no idea where I'd find it, what it would be. So, but you had an idea around in general, what you would want to do and what your contribution to others, what and also, you want your contribution to others to be. And what would excite me. Yeah. Like, I'm, you know, I met a lot of people and I met these guys and I was excited because so I just, felt it. Then you just I said this to as many people as possible. You yeah. put it out there. Yeah. And next thing you know, you're involved for years. It's something I really job. care. And, and the thing is, it's worth subsidizing that 
that search adventure. You know, I've I've worked, uh, you know, as a, in high school, I worked at Colonel Sanders, you know, I I worked in the map library when I was in college. I always had jobs. I had all kinds of different jobs. I've been a cocktail waitress. I've done all kinds of things. And that's always been a way to sort of subsidize me while I'm pursuing my intention. And um, and so, you know, going into life, not being afraid to, to go after what you really want. And I, it took me a long time to understand that. I was older than I should have. I mean, I wish I had started younger, but it's perfect because I had to fail a bunch. And then I realized it's really up to me. I'm the only one that can make this happen. I have to envision my myself, my life I want, and then I have to keep pursuing it relentlessly. So the music thing was a complete surprise. I was really happy in my job. And then, um, let's see, what happened after that? Oh yeah, so in the meantime, I was in this band, but it was always part-time. I didn't think of it as a career. And then eventually, through many different things that happened, I started getting more serious about music, and I decided to go for it. So I, I formed my own band, and I started doing my own kind of artist thing, and didn't make a cent. <laughs> you know, but, I, but I got lots of great reviews and stuff, but I couldn't make any money. And so that was really disappointing, and I finally had to give up, and I decided to get a job. So what happened? A friend of mine who's a juggler said, oh, you could get a job at the Singing Telegram Company. That's the job I got. So I got the job, and at the job, I was selling singing telegrams over the phone. Okay. So, oh, this is over the phone, so you're not knocking on no, strange people's doors. Not yet. Something. Okay. So I was really, I'm a songwriter, so it was really easy for me to do that stuff on the phone. And then I started making up acts, you know, like, oh, they wanted something a little more elaborate. How about Tarzan and the Ape Band or a stripping meter maid or a woman that shows up who's a hussy who knows everything about your husband and starts acting like they've been together and singing songs. So and... you start um, <laughs> adding content to, to the people in this company. Okay, great. You're not just singing. Not just adding content. I got my own division. <laughs> <laughs> and, I ha and I finally made my father happy. I bought some silk suits. <laughs> you got your own division yeah. at the singing telegram? So yeah. you're no longer... On, on the calls, no. you're now running the company. No, I'm writing acts for product promotions and advertising companies. Oh, so wow. So that was a whole... So what's here's another interesting thing I'll say. Just because you're good at something doesn't mean you should do it. What do you mean? I was really good at it. Advertising. You know, writing jingles about products and putting together... Like I did a whole Wizard of Oz for Pioneer Chicken about Pioneer Chicken and working there. And we did... I mean, I did so many things like that. And I was good at it, but I'm kind of going, hmm, I don't know. Is this really me? <laughs> right. So there's something that's not, it's not on your path. I, it was the first but time I had a... You're good at it. You're talented at it. And I have a salary. You're making money at it. I have silk suits. How do, you, how do you put something that you're good at, you're expressing your talent in some well, way? Well, I quit the Mystic Knights of the Oingo Boingo. Oh, <laughs> my God. I was in that. Is that Danny Eflin? Yeah, Danny Eflin. Oh. Oh, Danny Eflin, some it, of you. You know, I did it for a few years, and I really loved it. And then they started, they, Danny decided it, he wanted it to be a, um, it was during the 80s, so he wanted to go into new wave and punk music. And I really didn't think I would be happy doing that. And so um, we parted ways. And it was kind of, that was actually when I started my own band after that. Because 
uh, that band was, he was very ambitious and he was, you know, if I had stayed with them, I, I would have and at least... And he has now how many Oscars, how many yeah. Emmys. I mean, he has, I don't, yeah. What's he's, his most famous thing in case people don't know who he is? But yeah. I think everybody he's a, does. He's a very famous film composer. He did the original Batman movies and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but I, I just didn't really feel comfortable. It wasn't me. So again, you're trusting your instincts. Yeah. If I'm not happy, I have to change what I'm doing. I can't live one day not liking what I'm doing and I think that's because I'm sensitive to how I feel yeah if you pay attention to how you're feeling like you don't want to numb out and just accept because we only have one life that we know of you know I I just always felt like that's okay I want to do something else you know that that's going to be successful and I don't I never look back and think oh if I had stayed in that band or oh if I had stayed in that company what would I be now well, look what I am now. I'm so much more what I want to be and who I am. It's hard to see that when you're when you're in the midst of it. Now that we're looking back on our life, but I knew it even at the time. Yeah. Like I used to. Well, here's a really good thing to, that helps me. I I, I t- if I'm let's say I'm sitting there and I'm working at the singing telegram company and I have my own division. I try to play out in my mind in detail. What will my life look like in five years? What will it really be? And I really try to pay attention, whoa, is that really where I want to be? Or like with the Boingo, you know, I tried to think, okay, if I have that success, will it make me happy? Because being successful at something that you're not happy doing, I've I've watched people in my family do that. You know, it's not a very happy life. That's, That's very courageous. Well, I don't think I have a choice. See, I think that some of us are just too finely tuned. Ah. Like if you don't feel what you feel, if you're able to cover it up, then you can sort of go on a path or maybe fear paralyzes you. But for me, I just always feel like I I just can go that way instead. <laughs> well, here's what I'm getting from what you're saying. I, and I do want to talk about you then having the life you have right now. Talk a little bit about that. Uh <laughs> But what you're really saying is you're finely tuned, which that tuneness makes you probably really <laughs> good composer because in order to be a good composer, I would imagine when the director comes to you and shows you the film that you have to... Respond. <laughs> really respond on a deep gut level and be able to translate your talent probably a lot harder than a singing telegram for someone. Yes. Well, you know, it's a bachelor interesting. party, right? <laughs> yeah. It's really interesting because um, music, you can't lie in music. You can't be fake in music because everyone can tell or most people can tell. I can tell. And so I, I feel like music has been my teacher my whole life. It's gotten me to do things I was afraid to do. It's gotten me to, to learn to be honest like, for instance, I was a, a singer, and I always wrote funny songs or novelty songs, you know, or blues songs, because I can't sing a heartfelt song without crying. And so I, my whole career, I never performed any heartfelt songs. And I remember once with, with my swing band on New Year's Eve, I was trying to sing a really beautiful song, and I just started weeping. And so I, I don't know what that means. It kept me from pursuing an artist career as a as a as a singer because I can't pull it off. <laughs> so, like, in your songs, you've never broken up. You're just always in love. Everything's going great. Yeah. Sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows. All right. So okay. So what you're really saying 
is to save, honor your talent, yes. it sounds to me. It sounds like you're very aware you have a God-given talent, and, and you honor the authenticity of that. And, and you have to take care of it. It's a responsibility. It. So I've seen people really abuse their, ta their gift in the sense that they follow the money and um, it's, it's sort of, I think it's a double-edged sword for an artist. And so people each, everybody has to make their own choices. But that was the other thing I was gonna say. One of the ways I got where I am is that I don't ever follow the money. <laughs> and yet. But the money follows me. And the money follows you. So let's go right to that because we That's have a, a little one. time left. <laughs> I want to know now, you know, because I went to CRBG and um, I hadn't talked to you in a long time. And I went, holy, I can't believe it. There's <laughs> Miriam Cutler. I know her. <laughs> I know that, her. Right in the credit she composed it. Wow. Very impressive. And so how did, you know, you then start doing composing for movies? Okay, so... While I was, uh, I, I booked a jazz club for a number of years, and through that I produced some jazz albums. And, um, and I was a songwriter, and I had a recording studio in my house just for demos and stuff. And one day somebody brought me something to look at, and they said, would you score my movie? And I had never thought about it. This was before we had the ability, we didn't have computers and stuff, and you couldn't synchronize to picture easily. No, you you'd have to like take a stone and chisel. Yeah, basically. It, right? Okay. It, well, there was a math book that you had yeah. to use, and I hated that. So, um, so I never really considered a career, in, and I never thought of myself as an artist either. Not until maybe the last ten years, but um, I, I, um, I really, the minute I looked at the movie, the picture, and I put my hands on the keyboard, it just, I went, oh man, yes, because I, yeah, like I love movies. I've always been an avid movie fan. And watch a ton of movies but I because I'm always looking for meaning in my life and meaningful work and so it never came together but to make a long story short I started um, I got I, I realized I was interested and then well immediately after because I started setting my intention the guy in my circus band because I used to run a band for a circus and, of course um, you did yeah of course and um, he started making horror movies, really low-budget horror movies, and he had this movie producer who was, you know, they need, you know, he asked me if I would score his movie, and so I, I went, okay. <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing, but I ended up scoring about 15 films for this really low-budget film company, and they were just horrible, but it was like, for me, going to film school, for part of it, for the technical part, for sort of developing my ability to work fast and write a lot of music, and, you know. So that led me to realize I loved doing it, but I realized I had to find something better to work on. And I really didn't know how to do, how to do that. It was very hard. <laughs> um, uh, I also was getting work. I was writing for a circus, and I was um, w writing stuff for corporate, like these corporate videos and things where, you know, they're pretty mm. good pay. Yeah. And they and sometimes they're even good music. And But it's not, you're always either selling, you know, Barbie or a car or, you know, mm. not things that I'm passionate about. And so I, I, for about 10 years, I was working, I was solvent. And I had my studio, and I was building it up a little bit and making a decent living. And, um, and then I, one day, I just couldn't take it. I'm like, this is, oh, I know. I had a great experience. <laughs> Everybody should have this happen. Um, my intention, you know, you have to be really clear with your intention because I didn't go far enough with it. 
I just wanted to get more work and score films and stuff. Yeah, but I don't, didn't. Don't shoot so low. Don't right? shoot so low. So there was a company that was a little bit higher up than not much, but a little higher up than the company I was working for. And so I sent a package over there, and I didn't hear anything. And one night I went to this famous dinner. It's it's a BMI dinner. Um, and I was seated next to the guy that owns that company. And I introduced myself and I said, oh, hi, I was, I sent you a package. I'm Miriam Cutler. And he looked right in my face. I mean, this was a huge lesson. He looked right in my eyes and he said, that piece of shit. And I, re and then I had to sit next to him the rest of the night. Oh my God. And that was just like at the appetizer. That wasn't even, we hadn't even gotten the appetizer. Oh my God. No, it was pretty awful. So it was very humiliating, but it was a real wake up call for me. I needed to change what I was doing. Because I knew I already knew I wasn't happy doing it, but I didn't. And other people were seeing that too. Yeah, probably. And well, that's um, what he was saying, right? Yeah. Well, when when you know, I learned a very important lesson. What you have is your name, and if you don't have a good reputation associated with your name, then uh, you know that's not going to be very good for your career. So you quit doing. I decided not to take any more of that work because I had to shut that door. And then how did you open the other door? Well, I started searching again. I was ready to kind of chuck the career. And then uh, I was at a screening of one of my kind of mediocre films, and I met this filmmaker. His name was Arthur Dong. I always tell this story, and he always feels embarrassed. But he was, uh, I didn't know it, but he was a very, very well-known, respected documentary filmmaker. And he was making this film called License to Kill. And we started talking. He told me about the film. He said uh, he had been gay-bashed and that <clears throat> he wanted to make this film. He was going into prisons to interview men who had been um, convicted of murdering gay men, and he just wanted to ask them why. And he didn't have any judgment. He just took the camera in there, and it was just him and the guy, and they would tell him, you know, and talk about a horror movie. Very calmly, you know, he wouldn't, uh, he would ask them questions, but he wouldn't confront them or anything. He just really wanted to understand what made them feel like they, they should do that. Usually it was religion, and or else a self-loathing, you know, closeted gay person. Um, so, so the film got into Sundance, and we went to Sundance, and um, it won two awards, and that was my life-changing event because I still had my. I was really watching and looking. I feel like there's opportunities all around us all the time. You just have to see them, so you have to pay attention. Well, I want to thank you for being here and talking to me. I want to have us recap the pointers <laughs> okay. for the people listening, okay? The first one I thought was that when you do what you do, do it fully. If you're a performer yeah. on stage, have or even a writer off stage. Don't hold back. Don't hold back. Have that place in your art where you are you can only be on your purpose when you open yourself be vulnerable to that purpose and ex allow your talent to express itself stop worrying about what other people think and yeah. fully express okay let's see what was another point well to to really be specific when you envision things and be purposeful like like have an intention set it out and and you can change it any time you know don't feel like you have to stay with something if it's not right, just keep moving. Yeah, because that you know? vision might be just your five-year vision, right? Or <laughs> even a ten-minute one. It, it gets you to something. Yeah, but I think I think being on purpose in life is constantly 
tweaking that purpose. Absolutely. Because you never we're evolving we're evolving exactly we're constantly changing i love how jim carrey when he was like just performing and in yuck yucks in toronto and he wrote a check for uh uh 10 million dollars and he said one day i'll be able to cash that check that's intense and um and i don't he didn't cash it but he it's it's story goes he buried (laughs) it with his father because he that's who he did it for you know exactly you know, and that's the other thing. Another point is don't follow the money. Follow your heart, and the money will follow you. Yes, follow your heart and not the expectations of others like yeah. parents or partners. And um, I really also love that opportunity comes. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. All the time. Open your eyes to it because there are people come into your life like I just okay this is just a random thing today um, um, I did 23 and me and you know that's where you find your DNA and then they have a <laughs> list of relatives and I contacted a couple of my relatives because I was excited my relatives and they wrote back going I never heard of you so I know they are my relatives because they're so mean and nasty so they, they, they've got to be related but then I see someone says hi I'm your relative and I actually, my wife is Arlene Hoffman, who I think went to Fairfax High School with you. And I went, oh my God, and you're my cousin? And it's like, and we're getting together. And then I was talking to Arlene on the phone, because this is like, I haven't talked to her in a long time. And, um, and she's saying, yes, I booked this huge retreat, and we're looking for speakers, actually, on comedy. <laughs> That's exactly and, how it works. And, and it's like... It's, it's sort of magical in a way. When you get out of your own way, <clears throat> when mm-hmm. you don't let fear or anxiety or, or even judgment, like being judgmental about something, like, like not seeing it just fresh, having some opinion about it when you don't really know, no, like don't, don't have any expectations and don't, don't bring, you know, don't uh, influence things with your own bringing baggage to it. So I'm sorry that was so unclear but um it's I the think, herring it's the biggest <clears throat> herring it does that to me too <laughs> yeah it's the herring i'm definitely but i mean when you just go into things here's the other okay so my latest thing that i've realized is that is that i learned this from music improvisation when you're improvising that you're actually being a zen you're in the moment you're just responding to what is coming at you authentically and you know and and so and so improvisation is actually a form of being your best self in a way. That's beautiful. I think we're going to end with that because whether you're a, a composer, a musician, whether you're a comic or you're a writer, is to be in that space, in the presence, and let yourself go. Because a lot of creative types feel that they have to somehow only write when they have the idea all together in their oh. head. Or, you know, or only try out a joke at an open mic when it's going to be perfect. And it's the idea of to be in the flow of life to express your talent and to put your intention out there. Everybody, this is your assignment for this week. I want you to find five people this week that you will ask them, you know, this is my vision. Do you know anybody you could hook me up with? This is my vision. This Works is for where me. I want to be. <laughs> 
Try it, and you might end up like Miriam Cutler. Thanks, Miriam. Bye. If you would like to learn more about turning your purpose into a career, go to themessageofyou.com, where I'll give you free access to my online course. Click the button in the top banner when you get there. If you'd like to learn more about what I'm doing, then go to judycarter.com. Thanks for listening, and let's find your message and launch your career. Thank you.